From the Financial Times in London, I'm Fiona Simon and this is FT News. On the face of it, it looks like a good news story for Gambia, a tiny West African country popular with tourists. The country's long-serving president, Yahya Jameh, who seized power in a coup 22 years ago, has finally been persuaded to leave the country after his surprise defeat in elections held last December. But there are reports that the departing president has taken rather a lot of the country's cash with him. Here in the studio with me to discuss this is our Africa editor, David Pilling, who's just back from a visit to Banjul, the Gambian capital. Thanks for joining us, David. Thanks for having me. It's been quite a dramatic story, hasn't it, since Adama Barrow was declared the winner in December's presidential election. Can you take us through the events that have led to Mr Jami's departure? Sure, yeah, well... um Barrow won the election very surprisingly. He's a bit of a political neophyte. Uh, Jame, who's been in control for 22 years, obviously had no idea that he was going to lose. He made the mistake of running what appeared to be relatively fair elections. And when he lost, he went on state TV and conceded defeat. And the continent applauded. I happened to be with Tabo and Becky at the time. And, and Becky said that the whole of Africa was applauding an authoritarian leader, let's say, who was relinquishing power voluntarily. Unfortunately, Mr. Jamie changed his mind, decided he was going to stay in power, and this triggered a political crisis. The regional powers got involved trying to persuade Mr. Jamie to go. They kept sending in very heavyweight delegations led by people like Mohamed Buhari of Nigeria, the Nigerian president, to basically say, you lost the election, you should go. It began to reach crisis point when I was there last week. The clock was ticking, it was coming up to midnight when Mr Jame's term was supposedly expiring, but Mr Jame still refusing to go, and ECOWAS, which is the big regional grouping, threatening to invade to push him out if he didn't. So that was the situation that unfolded last week. And what was the atmosphere like in the country at that time? The streets completely emptied. They really didn't know if Mr Jame was going to make a last stand whether the army was still loyal to him or his personal presidential guard, whether they'd go down shooting, whether there really would be an invasion or whether it was a bluff, whether Mr Jame would see sense at the last moment. And the midnight deadline came and went. The incoming president, Mr Barrow, had to have his inauguration not in the Banjul Stadium as had been planned because he was basically too nervous to come to a country still controlled by Mr Jame. And so he had his inauguration in the country next door in Senegal. And then other delegations came in, really trying to persuade Mr Jame that his time was up, half his cabinet had resigned, the army chief had come out against him. And I think Jame saw the writing on the wall. He resigned and then after another couple of days, he actually boarded a plane and left for Equatorial Guinea. But not until troops from the regional force ECOWAS had entered the country, is that right? Well, they certainly said they'd entered the country. At that point, we never really had proof of that. The head of the Senegalese force, which appeared to be the main force in this sort of multinational force, said that they had entered the country. I was never able to get independent confirmation of that. It could have been a fake invasion. But if we take them at their word, there was certainly a massing on the border. And they had a big force, perhaps of 7,000 men. Gambia has a tiny army, many of whom had basically defected and were no longer behind Mr. Jame. So I think it was quite clear that had the invading force needed to come in, they would have mopped up things relatively quickly. But that, of course, doesn't mean that there wouldn't have been bloodshed and there wouldn't have been innocent people being killed. So tell us something about the new president, Adama Barrow. 
where is he now and what kind of a leader is he going to be? Well, he's still in Senegal waiting to go back. There are troops now combing through State House to make sure it's not booby-trapped. I presume finding out whether there are any remnants of Mr. Jame's army or presidential guard who are still loyal to Jame who could cause problems for Barrow. But he will come in clearly in the next day or two. Mr. Barrow comes from a reasonably well-connected family but was not a politician until quite recently. He spent quite a lot of time in the UK. He was briefly a security guard at Argos. He's become famous for this. He went on to become a property developer of some sort, returned to Gambia. He's clearly made some money. I don't think he's a particularly wealthy man, but neither is he very poor. And he became the sort of compromise candidate for an opposition that had been split over the years. Mr. Jame made a crucial mistake, which was to put the very serious opposition candidate in jail. And as a result, the opposition all coalesced on Mr. Barrow. And this is why Mr. Barrow was able to win. So I think people think he's very quietly spoken. He's not particularly charismatic. He's an Arsenal supporter, which, again, people have made quite a lot of. He's a bit of an unknown quantity, is the truth. People that have met him say he's honest so far as they can tell. He's sincere so far as they can tell. He's promised to have a cabinet that takes in many of the opposition forces. He's promised to go in three years and not serve out his full term. We'll see whether that happens. But he's seen very much as a compromise candidate, a political neophyte with some sincerity. But of course, things can turn once he comes to power. And I think there'll be questions asked and people will be watching closely. Is he up to the job? And will he be the president that he appeared to be when he was actually running for the office as candidate? And what kind of a legacy is he going to have to deal with? I mean, is there any truth to the rumours that Mr Jami has been able to empty the country's coffers before he left? There's uh, some confusion over precisely how much Mr Jame was able to get out of the country. I think it's quite clear that somebody who was in absolute control of a tiny economy of just two million people was able to amass quite a fortune. He certainly went into power without much money. One suspects he left power with quite a lot of money, had a huge farm north of Banjul and seems to have had connections with timber and ports and various things. There were all sorts of rumours flying around about how much money Mr Jame wanted to take out of the country. There is a figure of $11 million being bandied around by somebody connected to the opposition. My reaction to that is that doesn't seem quite enough for somebody who was running a country single-handedly for 22 years. The truth is we don't know. The country that Mr Barrow will take over is poor, but has quite a lot of potential, certainly has quite a lot of tourist potential. One suspects that if it's well run and if it's run for the people of Gambia rather than for a small clique around an autocrat, then people could see an economic dividend quite quickly. Of course, that's a big if. What we do know is that a country that ought to be relatively well off has been one of the biggest sources, given its size, of refugees fleeing, of migrants making hazardous journeys to Europe. There was a football team, a very successful football team. It won the championship and in the following year, half of its members disappeared because they'd all tried to make the journey to Europe. Some had made it and some, very sadly, probably had not. So just one final question. Presumably you'd consider this quite good news for democracy in Africa and in West Africa in particular. Is this the first time that a leader has been forced out by concerted action from neighbouring countries? It's not the first time in Cote d'Ivoire a few years ago there was a sort of a similar political crisis and intervention or at least the threat of intervention forced a resolution of that crisis. There was intervention in the end and French troops were part of that. I think this is very good news for democracy in West Africa. I think it's very difficult to talk about Africa as a whole, but West Africa 
once known for coups and autocrats, is now becoming much, much more democratic. And ECOWAS, which originally started out as a trade body, has become very involved in enforcing the constitution in neighbouring countries. Too often has it seen problems in countries like Sierra Leone and Liberia spill over the borders. And I think it was very interesting that when Mr. Jame was digging in his heels and refusing to go, you had a number of leaders that came to try to persuade him to leave. They included Mr. Buhari from Nigeria, who two decades ago had been a military leader in Nigeria, but is now an elected leader, having benefited from the first transfer of power between one civilian government to another in Nigeria's history. You had Ellen Sirleaf Johnson, the president of Liberia, whose election had, in a sense, drawn a line under 20 years of horrible civil war in that country and who nobody doubts will leave her office after elections in October when her term expires. You had John Mahama, who recently lost elections in Ghana and went quietly. And you have Macky Sall from Senegal, who has just amended the constitution through a referendum to shorten the term of presidents. So you have four people who have, in a sense, been beneficiaries of democracy and who are now advocates for democracy. And I think you have seen them squeezing the space in West Africa for autocrats like Mr. Jame to survive. I think there is at least one word of caution. That word of caution is that Gambia is, of course, a very tiny country of two million people without really much in the way of armed forces. When a huge country relatively like Nigeria said, time for you to go, Mr. Jame, you clearly have to take that quite seriously. If this were a bigger or more complicated country, could ECOWAS repeat the trick? I think that is a question. But I think we have to acknowledge that democracy is gaining, at the very least, a tentative foothold in West Africa, and that does have to be good news. In fact, I must say that there is a big analysis piece written by me that will appear in Tuesday's Financial Times. So anybody that wants to read about the subject on a broader pan-African basis can do so in that piece. Thank you very much. look forward to reading that. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.